Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, and each week I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help encourage and inspire you wherever you're at on your journey. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that enrollments close this week for the Styling Masterclass. If you want to learn how to style with confidence and create visual stories that connect and create impact, you have just three days left to enroll. And a reminder that this is the last time the course will be offered at this price. If you'd like to learn more, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash the styling masterclass. I'd love to have you come join me and teach you all of the biggest lessons I've learned over the past decade as a leading interior stylist for magazines, books, and brands. I can't wait to help you on your creative journey. To enroll, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash the styling masterclass. And don't forget, this is the last time the course will be offered at this price. Okay, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Hope you're all well. 
Well, today is a great interview. I hope that you enjoyed as much as I did listening to Shira Gill, who is a home organizer and she has a beautiful book coming out called Minimalista. It is jam packed with tips and advice and she shares many of the core concepts in today's interview. We first came in contact when she did my course, The Styling Masterclass. We talk a lot about educating yourself and really delving into different strands of knowledge at any given time. And Shira is a lifelong learner. So she shares some of the lessons that she has learned along the way. And I certainly got a lot out of this interview and I hope that you do too. Thank you, Shira, for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about so many things. And it's kind of fortuitous in a way because this past weekend, I've actually been going through a massive decluttering and organizing of my home. And we will get into all of that because you really have got so many great tools and so much experience in this topic. But first of all, I just want to start with a little bit about you and how you got to be where you are today. So first of all, can you just share a little bit about your your childhood? And um, do you think that that informs where you are today? Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of yours and happy to be here. Um, if we're going way back, I guess um, my kind of first memories as it relates to my career was um, my parents split up when I was three years old and I was an only child. Um, they ended up kind of getting back together, but then ultimately divorcing when I was eight. And so um, my early memories are kind of going back and forth between houses and between parents. Um, and I remember my world feeling kind of shaken and a bit out of control. And so um, I think I just somehow grasped for control where I could find it, which happened to be my bedroom. <laughs> and so I always was really aware of my environment and how it felt. And um, it almost felt like this magic to me to get things feeling just right and kind of a form of self-care for me. Um, so that's, I think, really like my earliest memories in terms of growing up and just having this kind of crazy joint custody schedule where I um, went back and forth between homes every other day. So um, my parents lived in the same city, but in different homes and I would kind of drag my things back and forth and have duplicate sets of things. And so I think I was just always very aware of stuff and environments. Yeah. And so were you the child with the tidy bedroom? I was. Yeah. But, um, you know, I remember it less about being immaculate or perfect and more just really caring how things were. Um, so I was just very, I was a sensitive kid and very sensitive to my environment. So I remember like having my little collections and my little things. And I, I, my mom would always make fun of me because I was kind of arranging them. Um, and I wanted them to be in like the right order. So I guess I was, I was quite organized and, and tidy, but I think, um, it was less about like striving for perfection and more about striving for uh, this feeling of like feeling good in my space. Yeah, I, I definitely remember that myself as well as a child, sort of those early years and even teenage years that I really 
my bedroom was really important to me. What it looked like, I remember even choosing the paint colors and yeah, you know, the blanket and and all of that kind of thing and and how much yeah, that kind of informs who I am today in many ways. I, I'm always fascinated by the nature versus nurture argument. And um, right. Yeah, it's really fascinating, isn't it? And so then, so that was your kind of, I guess, like your early childhood. And then when you started to get into those teenage years, did you have yeah. a sense then of what you might want to do post school? Yeah, well, so I actually, um, it was even earlier at the age of eight, I think not so coincidentally, when my parents divorced, I discovered the world of theater and I started acting in plays. Um, And I think because I was kind of a shy, introverted child, it was this outlet for me of um, being able to kind of let everything out in a safe way, playing all of these roles and characters. And So I became um, kind of like the actor in my school and I ended up getting cast in every play and then um, performing at my local university at the University of Berkeley whenever they needed a child actor. Um, And it was just kind of an instant fit for me. Um, So from the time I was eight, that was my life and my world was acting and theater. And it was like, I lived it and breathed it and didn't care about anything else. <laughs> so I love that. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I love when you discover these sort of uh, threads or these sort of chapters in people's lives that you have no idea about. And yet <laughs> it kind of makes sense, but it just seems so different to where you are today. So then how did you yeah. become a home organizer? Yeah, well, <laughs> so I never would have in a million years guessed that this is where I would have ended up. I um, I did theater all through school and university, and I moved to London and did theater and Chicago and L.A. Um, and back to San Francisco. So basically all through my teens and 20s, I was an actor. And then at a certain point, um, I realized that the lifestyle was not sustainable or one that I really wanted. I wanted to have kids and a family. Um, So I walked away from acting, which was really heartbreaking and a difficult decision, Um, got a job as an event planner. And um, I always loved, you know, food and events and parties and kind of fed into that theatrical world that I loved in a different way. Um, But a few years into that, I got laid off um, and I was eight months pregnant at the time when I got laid off. And so um, really starting my business was born out of complete necessity um, where I was scrambling to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to make money? I'm eight months pregnant. Um, And so I went on unemployment and um, was, I guess, fortunately able to stay home with my Um, my baby girl, um, who's now a tween. Um, But during that time, I really thought about what do I want to do? What is my future going to be? I've left acting. I've been laid off from this big event production job and I didn't see myself returning to event production. I didn't love it enough. And it really was brainstorming with my girlfriends, my best friends who said, well, you know how you've always helped me clean out my closet or help me set up my space or help me move? Like, I think there's something there. I think you could help people. And I just thought it was the craziest thing. This was pre-Marie Kondo and really nobody knew, like home organizing was not 
a profession. Um, this was, I guess, a little more than 12 years ago. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'm home with a baby. I've got to make some money. So I cobbled together a website and, um, and basically my friends helped me. I had a friend who was a photographer and another who was a graphic designer and they were so loving and caring as friends. They wanted to help me. And so basically I launched this business, you know, while I was at home with my baby and I just said, I can do three hour sessions, helping you declutter and organize and set up any space. And I just put that out into the world thinking this is maybe how I can make ends meet, you know, until I figure out my career. And, um, I sent out an email to everyone I've ever met saying, if you or anyone you know um, feels overwhelmed in your home by clutter or disorganization, basically, I'm your girl. I'm here to help. And I started getting people. Um, and so it was this sort of remarkable thing where I had no business plan or business background, but I just knew there's a thing that I'm good at and I love helping people. So let me put it out in the world and see what happens. And the next thing I knew I had clients and then I had referrals. Um, I and now it's been 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, and cause my question, but you sort of answered it was how, it seems so strange in this world that we live in now, like everything's promoted through Instagram or Facebook, or, you know, right. we all know the sort of the value of having an email list and all of these things. And yet, yeah, I come thinking like 12 years ago, how on earth did you get yeah. clients 12 years ago? Oh my God. Well, let me tell you, I was not about, like I made postcards that I left at my pediatrician's office. I walked around telling people that I knew at cafes because I knew they would talk to people, my hairstylist. Like I really thought of it as just all that marketing is, is really telling people what you do so that they can get help should they want it. Um, and it was a lot of hustle, but it was, you know, I didn't spend any money on advertising. I didn't do, I didn't even know that Facebook ads existed. Maybe they didn't back then. So it truly was kind of a local network and community um, <laughs> labor of love. And I found um, one of the most effective things was um, I helped women in my mom's group. And so then they would post on their mom's groups that, you know, they had felt so overwhelmed by clutter and I had come in and helped them and they felt like they had this new freedom in their home. And so I started getting a ton of referrals from um, these local moms and it was all very organic and word of mouth and just, you know, one woman would tell her five friends. And then the next thing I knew I was, you know, my whole calendar was full for three months. Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, really word of mouth is the most powerful way to, to get any kind of business or, you know, get your sort of trade or service out there. Um, so obviously when you've, you very first started out, what was your, I guess, action plan for how you would help these people? And I'm curious as to how that has evolved over time as well. Yes. So, um, I had no plan. <laughs> I, I really had no plan other than this is something I know how to do and I'm going to go in there and figure it out. So I still remember my first client. I was so nervous. Um, 
And I, you know, right before I left, I remember my husband said, just pretend it's your house and think about what you would do to make it feel better. And that really helped me because it kind of got me out of the ego of like performing and am I good enough and just into, right, I just want to help transform a space. So um, I guess at the beginning, really, my game plan was I'm going to show up and ask people what their pain points are and really listen and then ask them what their idea of success would be and really listen and then try to connect those dots for them. So um, I think, you know, I'm really inquisitive and curious about people. And so I genuinely love connecting with people and asking them like, tell me about your life and how do you use your home and what are the things that drive you crazy? And if your home could look anyway, how would it look? And so I would really listen and that would just be like 10 minutes at the beginning of our session. And then I would just literally work my way around the room with them, decluttering as we went, organizing as we went, setting up systems as we went. And I think it is um, a place where I really truly get into a flow state when I'm editing and organizing. And so the time would just go by so fast and three or four hours would happen and we would have transformed this room and it would feel like magic. And so it really became kind of addictive for me, this process. Um, and I have, you know, honed and refined it um, over the years. I now have a five-step process that I go through um, that I've, I'm actually outlining in my, my book, Minimalista, that's coming out. I've kind of taken everything that I've learned um, over my career and put it into a structure. But I think initially, certainly for the first several years, there was no structure. It was just completely organic, like following my instincts and then realizing I had a process. And can I just ask you on that? So just to kind of give us a little bit of an insight, when you're you're going into someone's home and, you know, in those early days, but I'm sure it's similar in many ways today as well, what kind of um, questions are you asking people? Or, you know, I know that so many people, particularly when they've got, you know, they've got young children and they quickly accumulate so much stuff. Was it that type of stuff that you're working through or was it things that they had been holding on to even prior to having children? And what, can you give a little bit of an insight yeah. into, into that process of, you know, some of those key questions that you should really be asking yourself at the beginning? Yeah. So um, all of the above in terms of what you asked about it, you know, I address with people gifts and guilt and inherited items and things from college and, um, and certainly the kid gear is a huge pain point for people. Um, so all of the kid clutter and the art, but really where I always start is asking people, what do you want your life to be like? Um, and I know that sounds so big and broad in the context of organizing your home, but I think, um, you know, the first step in my process is clarity, is figuring out who are you and what do you care about and how do you want to live? And so when I meet somebody before we even walk through their house, I just sit down and ask them about their life and career and hobbies and passions. What do you care about? What do you want to spend your time doing? And then specifically, how do you want your home to feel? Um, how do you want your home to function? 
And what specific activities do you want to do in your home? So once we get a sense of that, then it's so much easier to navigate through the clutter because we have kind of a roadmap for where we want to go. Um, so I can give an example of in my life, I've always known travel was a huge value of mine. And so I wanted to have a home that was really conducive to leaving <laughs> yeah. and, and, and to being able to, we rent our house out, um, when we go and that's really afforded us the ability to travel all over the world. And so I thought, well, you can't rent your house out unless your house is appealing to other people and kind of a clean slate and almost feels like a boutique hotel. And so I guess I was very informed by this desire to be able to travel, to be able to host people, to be able to rent our house out. And so then when I'm confronted with, you know, a pile of papers or clothing, I think of it in that context of, does this get me closer to where I want to go with my life or further away? And so the same thing holds true for all of my clients, you know, whether they are wanting to launch a business or write a book or have a baby, we want to think about those big questions before we get into the nitty gritty. Okay. So I've got a question for you. <laughs> Cause like I said, I've, <laughs> yes. just been, I've been going through this process and look, to be honest, I, I mean, I've been into lots of people's homes, hundreds of people's homes because of my work as a stylist and what right. your, um, your husband said really resonated me because that's actually the process that I do when I'm styling other people's homes, because sometimes I do have a moment where I sort of feel I don't want to offend people. I worry that, you know, if I'm taking this particular object out of the shot that they might think, oh, but that's my favorite artwork or that's my favorite this or that or the other. But then at the same time, I'm there to make, usually in the context of styling for magazines, to create the most beautiful image possible. And I, and I do preface this to people before we start to sort of saying, look, this is I'm doing it for the magazines brief and, and so on. But I do have to go through that process of thinking, what would I do if this was my house? Because essentially that's kind of why I'm being hired by the magazine is because of my taste, my style, my um, editing and curation and so on. And so sort of really putting that myself in that situation. So I think that's a good tool, you know, to, for people to perhaps think about with whatever they're working on, you know, particularly if you're offering a service, like what would I do if that's my place? But um, also, so like I said, I kind of go through this process of decluttering. I've moved homes many times and I feel that every mm -hmm. time you move home, it forces you to have to deal with a whole heap of stuff. And yes. I, yeah, and I do, um, although I think there is also that point where sometimes you get into the stage where you're like, you're running out of time and you just put things into boxes and think, I'll deal with that when I get there. <laughs> And then, of course, you don't. So I've yes. also I've also experienced that. But I do go through seasonal declutters, and and I've like I said, I've been into lots of homes, and so I know the amount of stuff that we have in our home is far less than many many other people. And yet, still, when I go through these weekends of going through things, I'm like, how on earth do I have so much stuff? And yeah. um, it blows my mind. And so my example, one of the things that I've, at the moment, I've been going through my bathroom cupboards where I 
I've been kind of storing some of my jewelry and other bits and pieces and my life has changed. So I used to work in an office in a magazine. It was a mm. bit like Devil Wears Prada in the sense that, you know, we were in the same offices <laughs> as like Harper's Bazaar and Elle magazine and all this, you know, so you go up in the lifts and, you, you know, you want to look your best. And, and so yeah. I, the, the clothes that I had then and the jewelry and all the things, I, I work from home now, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just not right. relevant. Yeah. And, but I spent, you know, money on certain things and I have certain things. And I think, you know, you kind of get invested in the the sunk cost bias of like, well, I spent this much money on something, even some shoes. Like I've got a pair of like Manolo Blahnik shoes that I bought, for instance, you know, and like, when am I going to wear <laughs> yep. those? And, yeah. um, but then I think, well, shall I hold on to these for my daughters? Because they are, they do have value. And I know that they would love some of these things, particularly some of the jewelry um, from when I got married and the some beautiful antique pieces that I bought, but I don't wear them and they're just in a box. And that's right. when I sometimes struggle and I get everything that you're saying, mm. but it's, you can't hold on to everything. I know that, but I don't know. I'll be interested in your perspective on say something like that jewelry. Yes. So, well, so I think you're really onto something because the most common questions that I find um, people ask themselves are things like, did I pay a lot of money for this item? Could this be useful one day? Did somebody give it to me? And and the the issue with these questions is that they're rooted in, in guilt and fear. Um, and they will also provide you with the justification to keep just about anything. Um and so it's my belief that clutter is created by fearful thinking. And we really want to get into kind of more present and abundant thinking when we're evaluating these things. And so the questions I prefer to ask are like, do does this item support my current life? And in your case, it's clear that it doesn't. Um, does this item fit in with the vision I have for my ideal home right now? Uh, would I buy this item for full price today? And then there's also like thinking about, would it impact your daily life not to have this item? I find that's really helpful sometimes when you're stuck to realize, oh, this is something that's literally collecting dust in my closet. And if it was gone, I wouldn't even notice. Um, but, you know, when you get to like the idea of your girls and inheritance, I just like to think of it in terms of like, Yes, but fewer better things. So I think mm. yes to the one pair of beautiful, perfect shoes, but no to 20 pairs, right? And like, yes to maybe the one signature piece of jewelry that was so meaningful to you once, but you know you're never going to wear again, but maybe your kids would really treasure, but no to a whole treasure trove of jewels. Um, so I think about it that way. And as someone who's lost a parent and did inherit a whole house full of stuff, um, I can tell you that there are only a few things of my dad's that I really deeply treasure. Um, and the rest just felt overwhelming. And so I think the more as parents, we can do that kind of mindful curation for our kids instead of leaving them with the heap of stuff to figure out, um, the better. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's really powerful. Um, and so I'm sure 
children and their, their their stuff is something that comes up a lot again you you did touch on children's art and that is something yes. that I I struggle with I mean even on this weekend oh. my daughter so I've got four children and my daughter who is nine we were kind of going through a session in her room and she was actually just throwing everything out I went hold on hold on hold on <laughs> let me look at it let me sort of make sure that you know I felt like she was being kind of too brazen with it but um and then I went through it and actually I was like no she's right we don't need to hold on to every (laughs) single drawing she's done at school and I I don't know what it's like in you know for your uh, daughter with her school or you know in America but and certainly with the school that my children go to they just at the end of every term they bring everything home everything yes, that they've worked on and it's like it's like oh <laughs> thanks so we've got to deal with this <laughs> yep yeah it's overloading and i think um you know to the best of i have two girls who are both prolific artists um and the volume of art is is overwhelming <laughs> and so I've really set up certain boundaries for them so that they can make decisions within some limits. So we have um, a kind of floor to ceiling um, magnet wall in our kitchen. It's really long and narrow, but um, we can get a lot of art on it. And so from the time they were really little in preschool, I would say like, this is your gallery and you get to pick what's on the gallery. And so, but not everything can go right because there's a boundary of how much space there is on this magnet wall. And so we would kind of divide the art that came home into three categories. So category one would be, I love it. I'm proud of it. It's like hot off the press. It's going up on the magnet wall. Um, number two would be, I'm proud of it and I want to keep it. We're going to keep it in like, uh, an art portfolio book. And then three would be, that was fun, but I'm done and we recycle it. Um, and I think because I kind of nurtured this process from a very young age, there, there was sometimes resistance. I'm not going to lie in preschool where it was like, everything was precious. And so sometimes I would just pop everything in a big basket. And then a month later say, okay, what are your favorites? And by that time, the thrill was gone, you know, and they were ready to part with 99% of it. Um, but really whether it's kids or adults, I think boundaries are our best friends. Um, creating a sense of we can keep the treasures, but not everything can be a treasure. Um, that's been really helpful in my work is empowering people to figure out what feels the most meaningful and important and be able to let go of the rest. Um, And I think there is a saying, like, if everything is important, nothing is important. And I found that, you know, with editing my dad's home, that there was this sense of like, okay, well, he has 52 mugs, but (laughs) A, I don't have room for 52 mugs in my little house. And B, if I keep all of them, they're just going to be a source of overwhelm. But if I keep one mug that really reminds me of my dad, it's then going to inherit so much more meaning and power. Um, And so I've tried to pass that lesson on to my kids, um, that sense of like, it's your responsibility to really decide what you care about deeply and then take good care of those things. But not everything can be important. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the other thing I guess that comes up with children is the gifts that they receive from other people. Now I do try (laughs) and have a 
no gifts policy when it mm-hmm. comes to um, if, if we have like a birthday celebration or at the most I say books only because I feel that books, children's books, they're easier to donate. They don't take us up as much room. And I have a huge issue with plastic and the just general yeah. rubbish that so mm-hmm. many, it's so much of children's toys. And it just, you know, so often those kind of toys break easily. They, you know, end up in tears and tantrums and all sorts yeah. of things. So how do you manage that side of things in particular in relation to, I guess, maybe family members as well, sort of making yeah. your, your values and what's important to you known? Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, I, <laughs> I am very open and honest with everyone in my life, but that doesn't mean that everybody adheres to my manual and my rules. And so you know, we actually have tried the no gift birthday and it was a complete flop. Um, and I'm curious if people actually <laughs> respected your wishes because here it it really, it's people feel uncomfortable showing up to a party without a gift, even if you tell them that you don't want a gift. And right. so I think after a few failed, you know, no gift or low gift birthdays, I just thought, okay, well, People get to show up and do whatever they want, but then we still get to decide and make the decisions about what we keep and how we handle what's coming into our home. And so um, basically I would let my kids open all the presents and then I would just say to them, kind of like give them the opportunity to say, okay, which are your favorites that you're really excited about and you know that you'll love and you'll want to play with? And they would pluck those out. And then I would say, which are things that you think you'd like to give to other kids um, and donate and are just not your thing. And they would just kind of intuitively make these two piles. And um, I never forced them, you know, and my kids didn't always pick the things I would have picked. So, you know, I had to kind of respect that. But I think just letting them know like, okay, this is more than we have room to store in our little house, but I want you to pick the things that you really love and you're excited about, but I'm sure you're not excited about everything. And, um, I, I recognize all kids are different. So for some kids, they would just say, I want everything full stop. Um, and it would be much more difficult, but I think with my kids, they are very specific and they're really into specific things. And so they would be able to kind of single out, well, I want this, this, and this, and the rest of this will go donate. Um, And I did raise them with this um, awareness that we are privileged and fortunate and have everything that we need and more. And there are many kids that don't have that privilege. And so I think it became part of our birthday ritual that after they opened their gifts and plucked out what they wanted, we would go donate. And so I think there's, there's an opportunity for teaching there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it does depend a little bit on the type of perhaps school community that you're part of or or your local area. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that it's been a big thing in our family. And we actually put an emphasis on saying like we would like handmade cards so get other children mm. to make them and um and our children always do that before they go to a party which I think is is kind of nice but yeah I, I you know for me I think it's more the issue of actually my mom <laughs> oh yeah it's always, it's always the mom <laughs> 
And I will say with that one tip that I've had is, you know, we used to get just from both my mom and my mother-in-law, they just love, you know, we have the first grandkids also in our family. So it was just this outpouring of generosity with gifts. And we have been able to train them to say, you know, our kid just wants this one special kind of high ticket item. And so for the past several years, that's really worked out well, where it's like, you know, they buy a bike, but it's one, you know, single item instead of a dozen random things. Um, So we have been able to kind of steer the ship in the direction of like, let's go in on one investment piece that maybe the whole family goes in on. And then instead of getting, you know, tons and tons of gifts, we're getting one thing that our kid really wants. Yeah. Yeah. No, we sort of tried (laughs) a name for that too, but with with mixed success. It's Um, hard. (laughs) And so I guess, um, I mean, we'll touch on your book as well, but I'm just curious, do you see any changes in the types of issues that people are dealing with in their homes sort of 12 years ago when you were starting out to today? Or is it still the same kind of stuff? Because as you mentioned, obviously, there's been the whole Marie Kondo and there's so much more awareness of decluttering and home organization. Or is it still really the same issues that we're dealing with? I have to say, I think it's the same issues. You know, I've been in people's homes um, for 12 years and now even, you know, on and off um, through the pandemic, talking to people and, and virtually coaching people. And I think it is really, you know, part of it is just this desire to consume and to overconsume, And then kind of people are hit with suddenly, I have more than I can manage. And my stuff is more suffocating than liberating and kind of this sense of how did I get into this mess? Um, So that I just see as a very pervasive issue, Um, one that I think can be solved more and more by just being much more conscious about what we consume and how we consume. Um, But yeah, I really am seeing, you know, the same issues of, you know, the people that come to me now are coming to me with the same complaints. I have too much stuff. I have no systems. My family's not maintaining. My mother's buying too much stuff, you know, like... (laughs) I think it's pretty universal um, issues um, that are going on, but I do think there's a much greater awareness of the importance of our homes, um, especially now post-pandemic. There is a new appreciation for how much your home shapes your life and affects your life. Um, So I think people are really hungry for change, but they still need kind of the tools and the support and um, and often the handholding because it's it can be fraught with a lot of um, emotion and guilt and shame um, in terms of feeling like I shouldn't be here or I should be able to figure this out on my own, but I'm just paralyzed. Um, I I see that as a real commonality in my work. It's, I just had the thought as well while you were talking that I think while there is so much more awareness of decluttering and organizing. We're also, since in that 12-year period, we have more easier access to online shopping. You know, the online shopping wasn't even a thing. And so now it's so easy to just buy stuff all the time. And even social media and Instagram, you know, this kind of click and shop 
concept and we're bombarded every day more than ever with images and advertising and I think we're probably more prey to it more than any other time. A hundred percent. I mean, I have to say I have, I have clients who have Amazon buttons in their kitchen where they push a button and it orders all of their household supplies. Wow. (laughs) And I think, I mean, it's wild, right? It's like the future, but I think you're right. There's, there's no barrier. There's no friction to buying. Like, it's one click of a button and you have a new box on your doorstep. And I think, you know, a few years ago, I was seeing like the accumulation of the Amazon boxes on the front porch. Um, And I can only imagine now how much worse that that's gotten. Um, And I think it is like we have to work 10 times harder Um, I talk about this all the time with my girlfriends who call me and say, like, I had another like Instagram week moment and just bought this random thing that some girl who looked cute was wearing that now I'm staring at thinking, why did I think I was this person or needed this? Um, So I think those pressures are pretty incessant. All right. So talk us through then. You've mentioned your five-step process, and I know your book is categorized into clarify, edit, organize, elevate, and maintain. So do you want to just sort of run us through just briefly uh, the the process that you go through, which might be helpful for for some people? And um, yeah, and I've got a few few other questions I still want to ask. So let's start with this. Yes, I'll make it quick. So yes, so number one in the process is all about clarifying, which we went over. So that's really thinking about how you want your life to look, how you want your home to look, feel, and function. Um, So really getting that clarity before you dive in. Um, And then the second step edit, I think is 100% the most important step and the place where I spend the most time um, in the process. So editing is simply the process of deciding what you want to keep and what you want to let go of. Um, And within that, it's really figuring out the right questions to ask yourself Um, and to also think about what you want to do with those things that you want to let go of. So I do talk a lot about sustainability in the book and how you can part with things in a way that feels really good and that it will help other people. And it isn't just going into the landfill. Um, then the third step is organize. And so that's all about creating simple systems to manage and maintain the things that you do want to keep, um, And I think especially for busy working parents, um, that is a crucial step because you want everyone in your home to know where things go um, and to be able to put them back easily and intuitively. Um, And then the next step is elevate, which is really what so much of your work is about, um, which is about styling and elevating your space and taking it to the next level. So it's not just functional, but it also is stylish. Um, and fits in with, you know, your design sense and your personal um, style and aesthetic. And then finally maintain. And so that's once you've kind of reached the point where you feel like your um, living spaces are edited and organized and styled and feeling good, then, you know, life isn't static. We're going to always have the birthday parties and the free gifts. And, um, and so I talk all about maintenance and practicing rules like one in, one out and setting up simple systems to corral donations um, so that you can keep things moving and not static in your home. 
One of the things that I was really sort of impressed and, and kind of quite amazed with was just how much content and depth there is to your book. I mean, you've got a hmm. lot of stuff in there. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and I was actually curious because I know that you do, well, I don't know if you still do, but you have done uh, online programs in the past. Is, yeah. is, is that something that you still do? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I've even revved up more um, in the pandemic because it's been so much harder to be in person with people. Um, so I do, I have programs for closet, kitchen and pantry, workspace. Um, and then I have a get organized masterclass and a goal setting masterclass. Um, and all of those are online and I have people um, on every continent doing them, which is so much fun. So it's um, it's really like a, a team effort and a fun community online that I have where people share their little wins and support each other. So I was wondering, because like I said, this book is so jam-packed with, with <laughs> insights and information. How is are your programs different to the book? So, you know, if somebody does the book, or, yeah. you know, gets the book and sort of goes through the content, what is, is different about the courses so that, you know, if that's something that they want to, to do as well. Yeah. So you're, I mean, the book is so comp, I literally downloaded everything I've ever learned <laughs> and I just, you know, got into everything. And I did think that we would edit some of it out, but then my editors really felt like it was all valuable and, and people can learn from this. So the difference with the programs is it's really taking a very deep dive um, in a structured way into one specific area. So um, like my closet makeover program, which is um, has become my signature program, is literally helps you edit and organize and style everything from your socks, your underwear, your seasonal, um, your accessories, the costumes, costumes that you bought. And so it's very, very specific. And um, I go through and kind of coach you through the process um, from A to Z, um, whereas the book, I mean, does that as well, but it's really breaks down my whole process and then gives you a room by room breakdown of like short, actionable projects that you can do in every room. So I've really designed the book. So even if you're, you know, a full-time working mom and you feel like you barely have 15 minutes you can knock out a drawer or you can set up one simple system. Um, and my belief is that if you can get out of overwhelm and start experiencing these like little tiny victories, um, you will be able to transform your home. It's just a matter of time. Um, but I don't think anyone should have to quit their job to organize their home. So I've really tried to make both my book and my programs um, structured to kind of hold your hand through little bite-sized steps. Yeah. And I know from my own sort of online courses and programs, and I'm sure you have the same thing as well, is that when people sign up to do something, it's it's like they become accountable. You know, they're making that commitment, right. whereas yep. obviously a book is great, a great resource, and you can kind of dip in and out of it and you can still learn so much. But when you actually do something with a group of people, you feel that momentum and it's like you're yes. making a commitment to something. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, I structured my program. So I show up, you know, every week and say, okay, here's what we're doing this week. And I want to hear how everyone's doing. And I think there is a sense of energy and momentum that comes with that. Um, 
that you can't get from just reading about something. So it's really putting it into practice live in your own life. Yeah, definitely. And so I wanted to ask you as well, because about the business side of what you do, because so many people, you know, they have a passion or they have something that they really would love to pursue. And I think you do it so well, the way that you've taken this idea about something that you enjoy doing, something that you're good at, but to actually turn it into a business. And as you mentioned, you know, you started a long time ago, you started really, you know, um, you know, that sort of that sort of grassroots level and and you've grown it into this I you know I love getting I get your newsletter and your blog posts and they're always so thoughtful and the way that you sort of show up on Instagram can you sort of I guess share a little bit about the sort of the business side progression of your journey because obviously it's one thing to have a skill and to to sort of be passionate about it but to actually reach out there and know how much to charge and to how to grow to your business, all of those side of things. Can you share a little bit about that side of your journey? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I'm, I've become a total business geek. I love learning about business and the psychology of business. Um, and I think there was a real turning point for me. I think, you know, as I said, when I started my business, it was kind of born out of necessity without a plan, without training and just, okay, here's a thing I can launch quickly to make money. And then I think there was a real turning point in my life when I thought, well, I think this is more than a side hustle. And I think if this is going to be a career, I really want to go all in on it. And I want to invest in my business and invest in myself. And so once I made that decision, um, you know, I hired business coaches, I invested in um, going to the life coach school and becoming a certified life coach. I invested in business masterminds. I paid a photographer instead of, you know, having a friend do images for my website. I hired a branding person. Um, and all of this was, you know, an evolution over years of, you know, investing in one thing at a time kind of slowly. But I think a lot of it really was just the mindset of thinking, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to go all in and I want to do it right. Um, and so that's kind of like my mantra that I, um, I, I try to live by with everything that I do is I'm going to give anything that I do, you know, 150% and go all in, whether that's, you know, my Instagram or my blog post or my newsletter, if it feels, um, you know, mediocre, I don't want to do it. Um, and so part of it has just been that mentality, but I think I've also invested in a lot of great help and support um, from other entrepreneurs. Um, and I think what I've seen is every time I invest in my business, it comes back in spades. And I think when I was starting, I was always very scared to invest and felt like, well, I'll trade with somebody, you know, or um, I'll have a friend do it. But I was always kind of cutting corners. And I think when I finally said, you know what, this is not a hobby, this is a career, and I'm going to treat it as such. Um, that's when I think my business really started exploding when I took it seriously. 
Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Because um, there are, there are so many decisions to make in a business itself. And <laughs> it, like, you know, the clutter within our own home, I think quickly our businesses can become cluttered. You know, do you do a newsletter, a podcast, a blog, a, right. you know, all of these different things. And, um, you know, do you do one program? Do you do five programs? And yes. trying to make the decisions along that way. Have you found some parallels in terms of the decision making process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the hardest things for me is constraint in my own business. It's very easy for me with uh, my home and physical things, but I think I get kind of greedy in my business. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, I have a blog, but what about a podcast? And what about starting a magazine? And I'm, I'm a creative. And so I'm always generating ideas, but I find um, if I have too many ideas and I'm pursuing too many things, all of it gets diluted. And so um, that's the reason I don't have a podcast yet is because I decided I'm going to go all in on writing my book. And I didn't feel that I could write my book, run my business and launch a podcast successfully up to my standards. And so what I often do is I have this idea of like parking those ideas in a parking lot. So they're safe and I can come back to them and they're not going to go away. Um, but that I really force myself to constrain to one big thing at a time. So when I launched my first program, that whole year was just researching online programs and creating the program and learning about marketing a program. And that's where all of my energy went. And then over the past year, everything went for me into writing my book and taking pictures for my book and learning about the publishing industry and so I think, you know, once the book is out and live in the world, then I'll feel like I can give myself permission to pursue, you know, the next big venture. Um, but I do sort of have this commitment to myself, one big thing at a time. Yeah, no, that's that's really great too. Um, I'm just curious, do you have a team that you work with or do you mainly just use contractors? Can you give us a little I, bit of an insight yeah. into the back end of your business? Yeah, I mean, I I will admit that I think um, the biggest thing I struggle with is letting go of control. And so I'm actually at a point in my business where I really do need more help. And so I'll probably likely be looking to hire more help. But currently, it is me and a handful of contractors. Um, but I write all of my content. I produce all of my blogs. Um, I run all of my programs. And so really, I just have um, a part-time virtual assistant who helps with some of the tech backend. And then I have a photographer, I have a web developer, and I have a graphic designer. Um, but in terms of like social media and blog and program content, uh, my book, all of that, you know, running the backend of my business, booking clients, I do all of that. Um, and I think, you know, from talking with other entrepreneurs, um, I think it's probably not wise. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm sharing honestly, but I think, you know, I'm kind of starting to butt up against, okay, I'm a full-time working mom and I'm doing almost everything myself. And I think the next step for me, if I really want to grow my business is to let go of the reins a little bit and find people that I really trust um, who I can hand chunks of my business over to. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's so many parallels with what you've said. I mean, I'm I'm exactly the same. But I think <laughs> yeah, there comes a point where you just you just cannot do it all. And um, yeah, yeah. I've got a, a couple of people helping me um, with with some of my things, but it's um, it is really really hard because. <laughs> when you're kind of like that that's your nature um yeah at the same time it gives you so much more freedom so um yeah and now that you've finished your book I know you're obviously (laughs) promoting it and so on but maybe yeah that's the the kind of the next chapter for your business I think Um, so I think so yeah. (laughs) yeah Yeah. So I, um, you did touch on Instagram and I know it, I just wanted to ask you a a little bit about your insights on that, because I know that is something that so many people struggle with, what to say, how to show up. Um, what are some of the big lessons that you've learned about using Instagram and social media? Yeah. So, um, it's funny because I was such a reluctant social media participant. Um, and in fact, my, my husband created an Instagram account for me and I was kicking and screaming. Like I remember saying, I don't want to do this. And he was really like, I think you have to. (laughs) And so I had to really reframe it for myself, um, because it felt like a should initially of like, Oh, it's another thing on the to-do list to, you know, post on Instagram and I'm not a tech savvy person and I'm in my forties. And, you know, I had all of these beliefs around like, this isn't for me. Um, but I really realized, you know, Instagram and, and other social media platforms are just tools and we get to decide how we use those tools and why we use those tools. And so I think for me, the light bulb moment was thinking, well, this is actually a free tool where I can think about it as curating my very own magazine. And so that's how I started thinking about it. Um, Instead of like, you know, what are other people doing and how do I keep up and all of the kind of compare and despair stuff. um, I just thought, oh, well, this is cool. I can create a magazine all about living a well-edited life and I can share pictures and resources and tips and other designers or um, stylists or organizers that I love. And it started becoming a tool for me where I started connecting with other people all over the world. Um, And once that started happening, I really fell in love with Instagram and completely pivoted. And now it's almost something I need to like be told to get off of. (laughs) because I spend too much time and, you know, can get sucked into the rabbit hole. But um, it's been a great tool for my business, primarily in terms of, you know, sharing my work, learning about other people's work. Um, I've been approached by magazine editors and, and podcasters. And so I think for me now, it's become like a creative networking tool. Um, and when I'm in that mindset of just, you know, this is about, sharing and giving value and also connecting and collaborating. And I can get myself out of the mindset of, you know, what should I be doing and what are other people doing and getting into all the metrics um, because, you know, it's really designed for that, I think, um, to be looking at likes and comparing and that leads you know, nowhere fast. And so I think for me, the way I use it is I really just think about sharing content and using it as a creative platform. 
Yeah, yeah, I know that's great. And it's, it's funny because it's kind of very different to how I came to it, which was I was actually one of the early adopters. And so for me, it was very much about because I would just, you know, take photos of things I would see in my journey as a stylist and so on and, and had lots of my colleagues. And now I feel like I've had to almost transition to this more of what you're talking about and it's really hard because I sort of still have these attachments to the past you know of like how you know like and uh, you know the people that I know who follow me and I don't know it's this funny kind of reverse thing almost but um so I guess on that and I guess it connects with um Instagram and, and how you choose to to sort of manage your time on there and as well as you know, your posts, like do you schedule in advance? So I just was curious if you could share mm. a little bit about the structure of your days, weeks and projects. Like, do you batch yeah. your content in relation to your blog or your Instagram? Um, how do you get all of the stuff done that you, <laughs> you know, all of these things that you do? Yeah. Well, so I would like to say that I am very organized and I batch all of my content months in advance and it's all very lovely. Um, but the truth is it's it's much more organic for me. And I found that when I try to do, um, you know, many months of posts in advance, it feels less um, authentic somehow. And like, I feel less engaged. And so what I've found is um, for my blog content, I try to have two to three weeks ahead of time, but that's about it. And so I'll think about my content and what's going on, you know, in the world, in my life, in my business that makes sense. And I think, especially over the past year with the world changing literally from day to day, it felt impossible to plan content that would be relevant or make sense months in advance because every week I felt like the world was changing so dramatically. Um, and so typically that's kind of, I'm a person where I'm never going to let myself fall flat on my face. And so I think I've earned this trust with myself where I know every week on Tuesday at 5am Pacific standard time, there will be a blog published, but sometimes I'm writing that blog two nights before, and sometimes it's two weeks before, and sometimes it's two months before. And it just depends on what's going on in my life. Um, and with Instagram, kind of the same thing. Like I post Monday through Friday, um, but I'm typically lining up those posts at most a week in advance. And so, you know, I know people who schedule, you know, their month in advance and really think through everything. I will say, honestly, the way that I have fun on Instagram is just by posting what I'm doing in real time, what I'm thinking about, what's inspiring me. Um, and so I always do it. It always gets done, but it often is, you know, close to the time where the post comes out. Um, just because I, I guess I'm a bit rebellious against the, um, the really far in advance organized content, which is funny since I'm an organizer. Um, but I guess the kind of creative artistic part of me feels like, no, I just want to do it when I'm in the mood. And so that's what I do. Um, but that being said, my, my days and my schedule are quite organized and quite batched. So, you know, every Friday I have an in-person project with a client in their home and Tuesdays and Thursdays are days where I'm either 
running live programs or I have a mentorship program and I'm coaching my clients on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, Wednesday is always my kind of creative content day. So that's when I do photo shoots or blogs or magazine articles, um, often podcast interviews. Um, and then Monday is kind of my business admin day. So invoicing clients, responding to emails, um, anything having to do with like the admin or the back end business part. Um, so I'm quite kind of organized and methodical, I guess, in that broad way. And then it's just with regard to um, my blog posts and my social media posts that I tend to want to be more um, organic and closer to the time of the post. Yep. Yep. No, it makes sense. All right. I've got some, um, I've got some quick questions for you, but before we do that, my last kind of question that I did want to ask, I mean, I feel like you've touched on it, but so you can maybe share your top tip. So what are some of the, the biggest lessons you've learned in relation to, or tips that you could give in relation to people, helping people declutter or organize their home and maybe also in relation to sort of having your own business could you share mm. some like of the, you know, the main things that you kind of keep coming back to, or it just feels like that was what kind of really makes it the biggest difference? Yeah. I mean, I think with both of them, I'm always encouraging people to come back to their values. And I think if you try to organize your home or your business without first getting very clear on what your values are and what you're wanting to create, um, you know, in your home, you're just moving piles of stuff around, you know? And so I think like my number one tip for organizing the home is get very clear, get a very clear and inspiring vision for how you want to live in your home, how you want it to look and feel and function and get a vision that feels exciting and motivating and energizing and then take it one tiny step at a time. So that could be one drawer at a time or one surface at a time. Um, my um, main methodology is one room at a time, but broken into bite-sized pieces so that you don't get overwhelmed. Um, and in terms of business, I think, you know, one of the big things I have learned is if you are willing to embrace discomfort, there's really nothing that you can't achieve. Um, and I think, you know, now almost 12 years in, um, every time I allow myself to be uncomfortable and kind of be a beginner at something, whether that's writing a book or um, creating a new program, I always come up against resistance and discomfort and overwhelm. It doesn't go away, but I think I now have kind of um, strengthened the muscle so that when I do feel overwhelmed, nervous, anxious, um, imposter syndrome, all of the things, instead of putting the brakes on, I now feel like, oh yeah, okay, this is the part where I freak out, but it's okay. Like <laughs> I've been there before and I know that I work through it. And so that's my real big life advice, I guess, is if you're willing to allow that discomfort and instead of pushing it away or running away from it or fleeing, um, kind of invite it in for the ride. Um, there's really nothing that you can't do. 
Yeah, yeah, great. Um, okay, so I'm going to launch into. I don't want to keep up too much more of your time, <laughs> but I but I do have these quick questions that I like to ask at the end, and um, I think it always gives an interesting insight into people and you know all of our different journeys. The first question always the hardest, but I'm sure that you can do this. I've got complete faith in you. Um, so, <laughs> which five words best describe you? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so I would say creative, curious, driven, brave, and impatient. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we have a lot in common. <laughs> um, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe there's something else that comes to mind. What's the best life or career lesson you've learned? So it could be beyond organizing or business, but best life or career lesson that you've learned? Mm. Well, probably, you know, the fear doesn't mean stop. It means go. Um, but also probably ask for help. I think that's really hard for someone like me. <laughs> and I think every time I've asked for help, it's it's been so beneficial to my life and my business. Hmm. What's your proudest career achievement? Hmm. Probably my book. I think getting a book deal with um, with Penguin Random House really has felt like, you know, a childhood dream realized. Um, and I think feels like the culmination of a career that I'm really proud of, but being able to distill everything that I've learned into a tangible book, I think feels like the best. Yeah. What's been your best decision? Um, marrying my husband. <laughs> That's I was nice. always attracted to the bad boy and, and my husband is a great guy. <laughs> and so I think it really took a lot of doing for me to make the decision to be with someone who was so loyal and loving and like a rock, um, because that's not where I was gravitating towards. Um, but marrying him has, has been the best decision I've ever made. Oh, that's nice. Who inspires you? Hmm. I mean, so many people, but I think like the, there's a, a quality that inspires me, which is I love tenacity. Um, and there's so many examples of this, but I think whenever I come across someone like not even, you know, a celebrity or an influencer, but just someone in day-to-day -day life that has overcome tremendous adversity and just keeps on getting up and and pushing through those are the people i'm so attracted to and so inspired by what are you passionate about ice cream <laughs> <laughs> um that's kind of a cheat answer um i'm passionate about personal growth i think um i always feel like I want to be pushing myself to the next level and evolving. And um, I think that concept of personal growth always kind of gets me up in the morning, gets me fired up to kind of do more and do better and take risks. Yep. And what, what dream do you still want to fulfill? I really desperately want to travel 
around the world. Um, I want to do like a year long round the world trip where I just go everywhere and experience everything and see the world through different eyes. Um, that's really always been a dream of mine. So, um, I know I'm going to do it. It's just finding the right timing with the kids and everything else. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. Let's hope it can happen again. I know yes, I have some good things too. Oh. Um, what are you reading at the moment? Mm, I'm reading a book called Tiny Habits that I highly recommend. Um, you know, I am kind of a goal setting junkie and I love reading personal development books and business books. And, um, and this book is really all about the power of little tiny micro actions. So it's, mm. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it reminds me of the book a little, I mean, I haven't read this tiny habits, but good habits, you know, it really is about that process of breaking down your habits, not to sort of say, you know, I'm going to organize my home, but taking something, you know, little bit by little bit and breaking down the process. And yeah, it yes. sort of really is about that, isn't it? Yeah. Just like, I'm just going to put my keys in the same place every day. That's all I'm going to do. And then I think the accumulation of all of those little smart micro decisions compounded makes it's like can transform your life. Yep. Do you listen to podcasts? Are you listening to anything at the moment? Yes. I love podcasts. Um, I want to know what you're listening to too. Um, but my, <laughs> my number one is, um, how I built this, um, which takes a deep dive into, um, very successful entrepreneurs and how they built their businesses and kind of goes through all of the twists and turns along the way. Um, and I find it so inspiring. Yeah. Well, actually, I listened to um, your interview on the Life Coach School because that's one of the podcasts that I introduced oh, yes. you to. Yes. And it's funny because you had already taken my course, the Styling Masterclass, which, as you mentioned, styling is kind of one of the chapters or sections within your book. And um, And I thought... I recognize that name because I was sort of going through like the back catalog and, and I thought, I'm sure. And so I kind of looked over and I was like, oh yes. And it's so interesting because that was, I think you were just on the cusp of making that transition to kind of, maybe it was yes. that point of sort yeah. of deciding, okay, actually I'm going to take my business serious. And so it's so amazing to talk to you now <laughs> when you've got this book that's about to come out and, and I remember you talking in that interview sort of saying that you had always been some somebody who did do a lot of organizing and you didn't sort of really necessarily think that it could be a career but now look at you you know what I mean yeah. like it's yeah it's amazing <laughs> yes it's it's been a a big few years <laughs> yeah. lots has happened yeah yeah no it's amazing um and what piece of advice would you give to your younger self Mm. I would probably say no need to rush, um, which I still have to tell myself all the time. <laughs> but I think I always have this sort of frenetic desperation to like achieve everything immediately. Um, and I think I would just want to tell um, my younger self, like, it's okay. Like, it's all going to happen. You don't have to rush through everything. Um, just one thing at a time. Yep. That resonates too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's been so lovely to talk to you. I mean, like I said, um, I, you know, going into this, I was like, I want to ask about this and, you know, the home <laughs> organizing and the business and there's so many things. And um, yeah, I'm really appreciative of your time and so excited about your book. It looks so beautiful. I've had a bit of a sneak peek and I um, can't wait to get a hard copy. And um, yeah, and so it's going to be out in October, isn't it? That's when it's officially yes. out. But it is officially, um, it's on the internet now and you can yes, pre-order it and I have fun goodies and bonuses that you get when you pre-order. So um, yeah, so people can can get in on the fun now. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? The sort of the whole publishing model, how yeah. I mean, when we're recording this, that's so far away. And yet now this this sort of whole pre-order thing is, is such a, you know, a big part of a book's journey and as an author, you know, kind of creating all those extra little bonuses and, and so on, which is, you know, it's still fun. And, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how different things adapt in different industries. And, but it's a really beautiful book. And, um, if, uh, I mean, of course I encourage everyone to pre-order, but it's definitely, you know, it's pre-Christmas time as well. So definitely put it on your wish list if, um, if you haven't got it already, but, oh, thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I'm, like I said, I'm really grateful and, um, and excited to, to share this with everyone. Thank you so much. This has been such a treat and so fun to talk with you. All of the links and info you need to access for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunchalong Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.